Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Voters go to the polls in the United States tomorrow, Tuesday, in one of the most eagerly anticipated and perhaps consequential elections in modern times. More than 90 million, indeed, have voted already. That's more than two-thirds of the total who voted in 2016. The election will either give Donald Trump four more years in the White House or see his Democratic challenger, Joe Biden, cap a near five-decade career in national politics by acceding to the highest office in the land. Suzanne Lynch, our Washington correspondent, has been closely following the campaign from the beginning and she joins me now from D.C. Um, Suzanne, one day to go. Uh, where are the Trump and Biden campaigns focusing their attentions for this final 24 hours? Well, today, uh, Monday, we're going to see uh, Donald Trump is visiting four different states, holding five rallies. Um, and it's it's continuing his pretty relentless uh, campaigning uh, since last week. Uh, he held 14 different events on Saturday and Sunday alone. So he's returning to some of the key swing states today and is finishing symbolically with an event in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This was uh, the location for his final rally actually in 2016. So presumably he, you know, wants a bit of that luck to rub off again. Um, on the Biden side, um, the Biden campaign, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and their spouses are fanning out across Pennsylvania today. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden will be accompanied by some more celebrities. Lady Gaga will join him in Pittsburgh and the singer John Legend will uh, join Kamala Harris. Although it is significant that the Trump campaign and President Trump himself have labelled Lady Gaga an anti-fracking activist and questioning why is Joe Biden bringing her along to an event in Pittsburgh. So, you know, this could this could actually resonate with some of the, the swing voters in uh, Pennsylvania because things are very tight there. And then just finally, Biden is also making a last minute stop in Ohio, in Cleveland, Ohio, which is very geographically close to that area of Western Pennsylvania. But that's quite significant because it does suggest that Democrats may think that they have a chance of winning that state that decisively uh, voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah, I love the idea that Lady Gaga might be best known for her anti-fracking activities. Um, But tell us, um, what are the opinion polls telling us then at this stage? Well, we had a flurry of polls out um, in the last um, few days. And of course, these are very closely watched. They're the last big set of polling. Uh, the New York Times Siena College poll, which is, uh, you know, a very respected set of polling, it looked at trends in four of the key swing states and um, it suggested that Biden is still very much ahead there. Um, it's Pennsylvania, Arizona, Florida and Wisconsin. It shows him with a lead, particularly in Wisconsin, where he's opened up a substantial lead of 11 points, according to this poll. Um, there were also, though, encouraging signs for the Trump campaign, because on Saturday night, the Des Moines Register, which is a very respected, established uh, institution in Iowa, uh, published its last poll uh, and it showed that Trump is leading by seven points in Iowa. Now, some people might say, OK, Iowa is a Republican leaning state. But significantly, um, the two candidates were tied in this poll as recently as September, suggesting that the president is making up ground here. And more significantly or more concerning for Democrats is that this same poll was practically the only poll to um, detect a swing towards Donald Trump in the final days of of the 2016 campaign. So there is a concern among Democrats. Is this poll suggesting a swing back towards Trump in some of the nearby Midwestern states near Iowa? So, um, you know, that's quite a concern. And then finally, this morning on Monday, we had a University of Monmouth poll on Pennsylvania. Again, that is putting Joe Biden ahead. It has him ahead by seven points among likely voters on the basis of a high turnout. 
and it brings that down to 5% on the basis of a low turnout. But again, uh, earlier in the year, Joe Biden had more of a lead in Pennsylvania, according to this poll. So that suggests that it is tightening uh, for Joe Biden, particularly in that state of Pennsylvania. Now, there's a lot of concern, Suzanne, about um, the possibility of an inconclusive result on Wednesday or a result that might be challenged by one or other of the candidates. Um, what would it take to avoid that? Do we need to see a landslide one way or the other? Yeah, I think the key, um, there's a few ways this can play out on Tuesday night, but I think the key option here or, or the key state to watch would be Florida. So the good news is that Florida will report relatively early. It has a long established, well-organized tradition of postal voting. So it's pretty organized when it comes to counting its votes. And crucially, unlike some states, it is permitted to start pre-processing absentee balance it receives before election day. So as a result, it, the polls close, one of the first to close in the country at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And, you know, we're expecting a, a result of some kind, you know, that night. So that will tell us a huge amount. Donald Trump really needs to win Florida. It's it's central to his path to the, to the 270 electoral college votes. Joe Biden less so. Uh, but so, for example, if we have a scenario where Joe Biden wins Florida and then crucially early on the night, we will also hear from other important states like North Carolina and Arizona. So, for example, if Biden was to win Florida and one of those, well, then it really is game over for Donald Trump. However, if Donald Trump wins Florida, which is very possible, I mean, it is neck and neck in that state, then we're in for a longer contest, I think. Uh, And then more of the focus will be on the Rust Belt states like Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And for various local reasons, they will be later in reporting their results, particularly absentee ballots. Some of the counties in Pennsylvania won't start counting absentee ballots until the next day, until Wednesday. Um, so I really do believe it'll, it all kind of, you know, rests on Florida and what happens there. And as I say, if Trump holds on in Florida, then, you know, this could get very tight. And if we do end up in a situation, Suzanne, on Wednesday, where one or other of the candidates is refusing to accept a result or an apparent result, or it's just inconclusive anyway, because it's close and many votes are still to be counted. What happens after that? Well, Donald Trump, I mean, the concern is that Trump last night, um, he was campaigning in North Carolina and he was asked about this. And he said, and I'm quoting him here, as soon as the election is over, we're going in with our lawyers. So he is setting up the prospect of a legal battle over this result. Uh, He said he doesn't think it's fair that we have to wait for a long period of time after the election. So already we're seeing litigation going on in the country about the terms, the practicalities, if you like, of this election. So uh, in Texas, for example, we've seen a huge turnout there. And um, an independent, backed by some Republicans, brought a case uh, arguing that over 120,000 votes that were cast by curbside voting, which was an option introduced locally as a response to coronavirus pandemic that they should be thrown out. Now, the Texas Supreme Court ruled against that on Sunday, but there will be another ruling on that on Monday at some point. So that's one example of all these cases that are going on. Donald Trump said last night he was he was unequivocal that he is going to challenge this result. So um, now his argument is he said it again last night. I don't think we have to should have to wait after November the 3rd. So he's somehow claiming that votes counted after Election Day are illegitimate in some way. In fact, you know, the, the facts are that American the states across America have always had to wait uh, to count ballots. But it's just that there were fewer absentee ballots to count. The problem now this year is that there's so many people have voted early, millions, over 90 million, that it's going to take them longer to count those, obviously. So, I mean, this, this uh, 
argument that it's somehow invalid if you don't get a result on Tuesday is erroneous. But I think what's concerned last week, it's a small detail, but it's very significant. The Supreme Court, the main Supreme Court has weighed in on several emergency hearings, if you like, on on election law over the last week or so. And on one of those rulings, Brett Kavanaugh, who was nominated by Trump to the bench, he wrote... um, he was talking about one particular situation in one particular state in Wisconsin, but he made the point that we don't really want a situation where, you know, the election is called and then, um, you know, Democrats will flip, he's the word, flip the election a few days later. And to a lot of people that was very concerning because, as I point out, you know, votes that arrive and votes that arrive by election day are all the same and when they're counted is really neither here nor there. They should be counted. Um, so that was a concern for people that if eventually this would get to the point where the Supreme Court has to weigh in, that Donald Trump does have a majority on that court. Um, so look, we've spoken about on the podcast before about what happened in Florida in 2000. That's a, that example where the Supreme Court had to weigh in. So ultimately, that is where this would go if there is going to be uh, litigation over the result. And if that scenario arises where Trump is seen to have lost, but he he digs in and insists on, you know, taking legal challenges wherever he can and so on. Might that be the point where the Republican Party kind of steps in and finally, having failed to do so for the last four years, if you like, might finally sort of try to rein him in? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think it's two things. Um, number one is it depends on what the numbers are. So I think if it's a if it's a landslide for Biden and he's refusing to leave, like that's, that's going to make it more difficult for him uh, politically. And maybe he won't follow through on these threats. But number two is to answer your question. Yes, I think it, it's significant here that um, Mitch McConnell, the top senator in, you know, Republican, top Republican in the Senate, he was asked about uh, suggestions by Donald Trump that, you know, there wouldn't, he wouldn't agree to a transfer of power. He really knocked that, that down and said, look, there will be an inauguration of a president on January the 20th. This will happen. So the signals coming from him, you know, are that Republicans, as you say, you know, this could be something that they push back against Trump on. In saying that, I mean, if it was very, very close, I mean, we know in Florida at that time, it came down to just a few hundred votes. You know, maybe some Republicans, particularly at a state level, would support uh, the president's uh, claims. So I think it depends on how many states are affected and how how big of a, how small of a margin really it is. But yes, you're right. I think he would start getting the pressure then uh, from Republicans on this issue. Looking back over the campaign in its entirety, Suzanne, who do you think has had the better campaign? Well, I think the way to look at it is they've been two extremely different and contrasting campaigns. So on the one hand, you've had Donald Trump um, having, by his measure, a very successful campaign because he's been out there campaigning. He's drawn huge crowds and the enthusiasm has been electric at these events. Um, but of course, um, this many of these events were in defiance of coronavirus restrictions in several states and he clashed with individual governors about that. On the other hand, uh, Joe Biden has taken the tack of being the responsible leader who doesn't want to put himself, his staff or the public in danger. So he's been having many more low key events. I think it is significant in the last 10 days or so we've seen we've seen more of Joe Biden on the campaign trail. We've also seen Barack Obama taking a big role. He was campaigning with Joe Biden on Saturday. He'll be back in Florida and Georgia today on the eve of the election. Um, So I think, as I say, you know, he upped his game in a sense in the last 10 days. And I think that is important. I think he was in danger at some point of 
falling into this kind of stereotype that Trump is trying to uh, pin him with of, you know, Basement Joe. But we do, we have seen a lot more of him in the in the last few uh, weeks. Now, I mean, he he's not, he is holding drive-in events. So a lot of the speeches kind of fall flat and you do hear people honking in their cars and that kind of thing. But it is it is important to stress to people, you know, the media, for example, it's very, very difficult to get near Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons Kamala Harris has kind of failed to break through a lot of the media coverage here, whereas it's very easy to attend a Trump event. There's lots of supporters and it's, you know, he he's sucking up a lot of the airtime yet again. So um, but I think the fact that the Biden campaign has increased his appearances means that they are focused on this crucial issue of turnout. And I really think that's the important issue to stress. A, we've had a huge turnout already, but in states, particularly Florida and Pennsylvania, which are the two crucial states to watch, the margins are very, very tight here. And Donald Trump won the state of Pennsylvania, which has a population of 12 million, by 44,000 votes in 2016. So it's going to become a numbers game. And there are reports that the Trump campaign is much more sophisticated in knowing you know, where his voters are and getting them out. So the problem for Biden, and it's the same in Southern Florida, is yes, he might have people who don't like Trump, but are they going to get out and vote? So I think one of the um, most interesting figures I saw in the last few days uh, was that polling, most recent polling suggests that among African-American voters, Biden's support is only at 78%. That is quite low for a Democratic candidate. So this is very important in states like Michigan, in Detroit, where you have a big black population, and in Philadelphia, I was reporting from there at the weekend, like it's no good having the support if these voters are not going to get out on the day. So I think it really is a matter of turnout because, as I say, the margins in these swing states can be very, very tight. So I think that's the focus and that's what the, the campaigns are trying to achieve. They're trying to translate the enthusiasm on the airwaves and on social media into actual boots on the ground, if you like, and votes on election day. Now, of course, Suzanne, uh, voters across the country will be, will be also voting in congressional elections and uh, local referendums and all sorts of issues. Um, you've written a very interesting piece uh, today on irishtimes.com about the Senate race and 10 Senate races to watch for, you know, the seats that Democrats are targeting to try to to um, take a majority in the in the Senate, um, if you were to pick out one or two of those races, which ones would you would you alert people to watch out for, if you like? Yeah, I think the two more most crucial races there are in Arizona and in North Carolina. The good news is that they will both probably report quite early, actually. Um, so Arizona is probably Democrats' best chance of winning a seat in the Senate. Uh, their candidate, Mark Kelly, a former astronaut, is also the husband of the former Congresswoman, Gabby Giffords, who was shot back in 2010 and survived that. And um, he's been really running a strong campaign in Arizona and Democrats are hopeful there. The other one that's really interesting and very tight is North Carolina. The Republican incumbent there is trying to defend his seat. His name is Tom Tillis. He contracted COVID after attending the Amy Coney Barrett nomination super spreader event, according to some people, in the White House at the end of September. He's under pressure from a Democratic challenger, Cal Cunningham. And there's a lot of money going into this race. Um, it's very tight. Cunningham has been involved in a sex scandal, essentially. Uh, text messages were revealed that he'd been texting a woman who wasn't his wife. He has been saying very little about it, but the ads when I was traveling down there myself, I mean, it's just relentless bombardment of ads there at a local level, questioning his integrity, etc. So I think that's a really crucial and exciting race to watch. And as I say, that should be coming in on election night. And the other two would be Maine with Susan Collins. Iowa and South Carolina with Lindsey Graham, who's uh, under pressure from a strong challenger, but he's probably better placed to keep his seat there. 
And maybe just remind people, Suzanne, just what do the Democrats need to do? How many seats do they need to turn over in the Senate to get that majority? Yeah, well, at the moment, the Republicans control 53 of the 100 seat uh, chamber. So uh, Democrats would need to, if, if Joe Biden wins, they need to win, they need to flip three seats because the vice president has a tie vote in the Senate. But if Joe Biden loses, they would need to win four. The other complication is that Republicans may win a seat that's currently held by a Democrat, and that's a seat in Alabama. A Democrat won that a few years ago, but it was an extremely unique election. He was running against a very poor candidate, Roy Moore, who had been accused of you know sexual exploitation. So he won that seat. So Republicans may win back that seat. Uh, so that complicated for uh, Democrats. And really, to get things done, as, de- as Republicans have learned, you know, you need more of a majority, really. So Democrats will be hoping to maybe win five or six seats. That would be their ideal. Uh, and it's by no means, I mean, Chris, it's, it's by no means a done deal that they will win back control. It's going to be a tough race. And the Republicans did do better in the Senate races back in 2018 um, than, you know, Republicans generally. So, you know, it's really going to be quite significant and quite interesting and, and quite tight, I think. And then, Suzanne, just before we wrap, to turn back to, to the presidential election, the question I've avoided asking you for the past several weeks, can you call the result? Oh, I love this question, Chris. Um, look, the polls are all suggesting it's going to be Biden. So I think he has got more of a chance, you know, 80% chance of winning this. Um, and I think what may happen, and which would be seismic, is that he wins a surprise victory in somewhere like Texas or Georgia. And that would be really revolutionary, really seismic in this country. Um, however, I am speaking to you here in Washington after traveling around the country. And I have to emphasize the enthusiasm on the Trump side is huge. And I do worry that too much of the coverage, including by myself, is focused on the polls again and again. Uh, so I think that the enthusiasm on the Trump side is, is huge. So if 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 Texas and Georgia don't go uh, for Joe Biden, I think it could be pretty tight. Um, so I don't think we're not we're not going to see a landslide of the of the um, of the kind that Ronald Reagan saw. I, for example, I would say unless I say there's an outlier in Texas and Georgia. So that's what I'd say. That's about as far as I'm I'm willing to go on a prediction. <laughs> I think that was a call for Joe Biden. I'm I'm not quite sure. We'll have to listen back to that and see. But uh, you've left yourself some wriggle room there. I think Suzanne. Well, listen. Thank you for that and for your outstanding coverage of the election throughout the campaign. And listeners listeners should know that the Irish Times will provide continuous coverage of the election count on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning with a live blog and news updates and analysis from Suzanne and colleagues. That's all for now. Suzanne will be back with us on Thursday to discuss the election outcome with my colleague Dave McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.